Tonight's reading is from Galatians chapter 6, which can be found on page 188 of the New Testament section of the Church Bibles. My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work, then that work, rather than their neighbour's work, which will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. See what large letters I make when I am writing in my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Even the circumcised do not themselves obey the law, but they want you to be circumcised, so that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. As for those who will follow this rule, peace be upon them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God, From now on, let no one make trouble for me, for I carry the marks of Jesus branded on my body. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Very good evening to you all. As I hope to show in a few moments' time from Galatians chapter 6, particularly verses 13 and 14, We're really looking at a prayer uh, this evening, a prayer of Paul's. And uh, we'll come to that in a moment, but it does seem right, as always, to begin with a prayer asking that perhaps these won't just be my words you hear, but you'll hear God speaking to you uh, this evening. And I'm both starting with a prayer, and in fact I'm going to end the sermon with a personal prayer perhaps some of you might like to take seriously and sincerely this evening. Let's pray. Father, thank you for calling us together at this time and in this place. We pray that these written words in Scripture might find a place in our open lives as we seek to live for Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 6, verses 13 and 
14. That's our thought for this evening. Our thoughts, of course, are very much with all that's happening uh, tomorrow. Ali and I are particularly going to be looking at the screen round about the committal time. There's a family WhatsApp group, and my eldest son, who's a six-foot-four police officer, uh, sent a message round saying, can you ask Dad what a committal is? I tend to go to a crematorium about once a fortnight in my professional life, so over 34 years I've done one or two committals. And he's a police officer and on duty with 150 officers in Windsor uh, at the final stage of Her Majesty's uh, time with us before her body is committed to the ground. There'll be all the ceremony, but I'll kind of be looking out for the six-foot-four lad who's a police officer. Uh, I was on the phone to Mum uh, earlier on in the week, and she said she was there in London in 1952 uh, when George VI uh, had his final uh, commemoration, as it were. She was a first aid officer. It's interesting that our family has got all stations covered, as it were. But for this evening, have a gander at this particular famous portrait or photograph of Her Majesty, Sir Cecil Beaton. Uh, clearly the light is somewhat bleached here, but there is light in the centre. And notice what she's holding in her left hand. The close-up, if I may. It is it's the orb, part of the crown jewels, and the circular orb is meant to represent the world. Remember that one? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, sister, in his hands. And so, as part of the crown jewels, this beautifully uh, piece of jewellery, the orb, has got round it some jewels, but on the top of the world in deep, profound significance, is the cross. And it's symbolic that in Christian understanding, as I hope to unpack in a few moments from Galatians, the cross actually is the dominant feature from a Christian worldview of the whole world. It's rightly placed in Her Majesty's crown jewels. It's quite staggering to read that the Queen at her coronation refused to have it reflected on as my coronation. It was the coronation. She was a servant of something that was much bigger than her. He really does have the whole world in his hands. And on top of the world, or through the world, or in the world, is the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you. May I never boast, so Paul says, of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cross and its omnipotence. It's all-powerful. If you read in John's Gospel, at the harrowing moment of the crucifixion, Jesus is there in great royalty and glory. And with deep irony, above his bloodied body on the cross, 
there was that signpost written that of course they wanted to take down, but in cowardly irony it was left there. King of the Jews. Of course he's not king of the Jews, he's king of the world. And his cross, as it were, is his crown. God's kingship is expressed in a completely different way. Let me read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. It makes this point very clearly that the cross is in a sense God's powerful implement for doing something that can't be done any other way. For in him, that's Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether things in heaven and on earth, by making peace through the blood of his cross. All-powerful. All-powerful for reconciling what was potentially irreconcilable heaven and earth, the glory of heaven with the dust of earth, the purity of heaven with the iniquity of earth, the reconciliation of that which is potentially, without Christ, irreconcilable. Deeply moving handshake with Jerry McGuinness and the Queen, Her Majesty, a good few years after her uncle had been blown to bits and to death, Lord Mountbatten, at the hands of the IRA. The Troubles. How tragically understated. He reconciles all things in himself by his blood shed on the cross. Reconciliation at home Reconciliation in the family. Reconciliation where? Sometimes even reconciliation within. It's by the cross. Heaven and earth. Those who stand poles apart or countries apart. Reconciliation happens through the cross. If the cross is omnipotent, it's also omnipresent. It's for all time and all people. Colossians again. You see, the cross is not just Galatians. As Chris mentioned last week, it's Romans. It's Colossians. Is there anything else you can say about the Christian faith which doesn't mention the cross? He's got the whole world in his hand and the cross is on the top of it. And so he, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, He is erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands and set this aside, nailing it to the cross. All have fallen and fall short. Outside of God's plan, outside of his perfection, and somehow in the cross, God erases it all. He sets it aside. One of my favourite pieces of theology is that of D.M. Bailey, writing, I think, just after the Second World War, there was a cross in the heart of God, 
ever before there was one on Calvary's tree. We look at the cross and we see God's giving of himself. All that stood against us from God's perspective is dealt with on the cross. But it's not as if God is just asleep and gets up every now and again to see how the world's getting on and thinking, oh, having a, a hard time of it. They're really not looking after themselves very well. It's as if, oh, I need to remember to get the rubbish out and put it out on that day, and I'll do something about it because they're getting themselves out of hand and I'll send Jesus. God is not like that. God doesn't need to get out of bed to be on it for his world. He's been on it from the moment he brought it into being. With love and self-giving restraint on all that could potentially go wrong, he holds in himself and holds it out to us in Christ. Larkin's poem has been rightly mentioned a few times. Sorry if you're getting bored with it, but I can't resist a good line from it. He wrote it in honour of Her Majesty in 1977. In times when nothing stood, but worsened or grow strange, there was one constant good. She did not change. Her Majesty, that is. Neither does God himself from the foundation of the world till its end. There is a cross. There is love. Why should it be that that's God's way of dealing with our fallenness and all that's wrong with us and the world? I don't know. There was no other way. There was no other good enough to pay the price for sin other than the cross of Christ himself. If the cross is all-powerful, and it's all present, so also I think we can say that the cross is also omniscient. That's to say it's all-knowing. The cross is known by us, and in a sense, God through his cross knows us. Notice how Paul prays. May I never boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which I've been crucified to the world and I to the world. One Jewish theologian has said, the cross is always our contemporary. It knows us. It evokes a prayer within us. Jesus' prayer, teaching his disciples to pray, may your kingdom come. Paul's prayer is, may I never boast in anything else other than the cross of Jesus Christ. Christ is everything to me. It's a lovely sentiment and thought in that popular worship song. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. I'm coming back to Jesus and all he means and has meant to me in this moment. If it took the death of Christ to satisfy all that was wrong with us before a holy God, it's interesting to think that it also takes the contemporary, ever-present death of Christ 
to keep us satisfied and focused and grounded in our Christian lives day by day. It can never be a moment when we accept Christ. It's always a movement through life with the cross there all the time. Paul doesn't say, I boasted in the cross when the Damascus Road experience happened to me and God convicted me that I was a murderer. I fell to my knees with a blinding flash and then I walked up and went on my merry way and lived a completely different life. May I never, day by day, boast in anything else other than the cross of Jesus Christ. Because I've learned, you Galatians, you put all these rules and regs in the way, you'll only make people unhappy. They're losing the brilliant gift of faith and trust in Christ only. Peace with God from your past through the cross. The presence of God with you now through the cross and the power of God for your future uh, with the cross. All that could potentially pull you away from Christ. All that could potentially entice you to go a different way by leaving Christ. Paul says, and I suggest we say in prayer, may I never boast in anything other than Jesus Christ, through which I've been crucified to the world, and the world to me. At two services this morning that I was preaching, I've uh, offered a simple prayer of commitment, not wanting to make any assumptions uh, that people know Christ through his cross for themselves. I value your prayer for Sally Craig and I as we travel next Sunday to a parish called St. Peter's Bentley, the conclusion of a mini-evangelistic outreach campaign. And I'm going to say this evening, I wonder, have you reached that point in your life when you admit you need Christ? He died for you, and you admit you need him. You've never truly believed in him only before. Maybe there are other things going on. And can you commit in prayer, like Paul did, like Paul always wants to, may I never boast in anything other than the cross of Christ. When you sincerely take that step, Christ always hears. He'll be present with you. He'll respect your handing over of your life to him and he will hand over his life to you. That's how the Christian life works. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me in his hands. Is your heart open to him this night to pray to him and invite him once more to be part of all that you are? May I never boast in anything other than the cross of Christ. A moment's stillness and I'll lead in a short prayer. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, crucified and risen Son of God, thank you for dying for me on the cross. I open my heart to your love. 
and I commit myself to follow in your ways. Thank you that you'll never leave me or forsake me. Fill me even now with your Holy Spirit. For Jesus' sake, Amen. Uh, By all means, ask for one of these if you'd like to take it and pass it on to someone. But this is principally for someone who here this evening might be saying, do you know, Mark, I've never made a prayer like that and I'd like to start, get serious with God and allow him to control all I do in my life.